Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. You know, there's a part in this song that we just got done singing. And uh, I want to hit on it real quick. I felt as uh, though as we were worshiping, I felt like the Lord said, someone needs to hear this specifically this evening, and you need to hear it. So I don't know if you're watching online and you need to hear this, or I don't know if it's somebody that's in the room tonight and you need to hear this, but I love the fact that God wants to take time in a moment, stop what we're doing, and just speak to our hearts. And there's a part in this song, let me go see where I can find it. Hold on, hold on, hold on, let me see, where is that? It's there somewhere, hold on. There it is. Pre-chorus. It's the pre-chorus. Okay. It says, and I was found before I was lost. Listen, listen, church. I was found before I was lost. It was not your idea to find God. It was God's idea to find you. Think about it. He says, I was, I was found before I was lost. He said, I was yours before I was not. I want you to camp on that for just a moment. I want you to think about how powerful those words are because it is the gospel. The Bible says this, that Jesus Christ is a lamb of God who takes away what church? The sin of the world. That he is a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when, when, when was that decided? Before the foundation. He was the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. That means that you were his before you were not. That you were found before you were lost. And if you're in a moment right now and you ever question whether or not God is for you, if you ever question whether or not God loves you, I'm telling you right now, settle it in your heart. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Before you messed it up, he loved you. Before you had your worst day, when everybody else counted you out, God counted you in. You love me as you find me. He's not in love, and this is not even the message. I'm going to get to the message. i got an outline in here somewhere, but, but listen. Listen. He doesn't love you only when you do well. He loves you as he finds you. You don't have to get cleaned up before God starts loving you. That's foolishness, church. You don't have to have everything set just right before God starts loving you. You don't have to quit smoking before you can go to church. You don't have to quit drinking before you go to church. You don't have to quit what it is that you're doing before you go to church. You just need to have an encounter with God and let you and God work that out. But God doesn't start loving you when you quit everything. He loved you before you ever thought about picking anything up. I'm just, I just feel so stirred in my heart this evening to share this. You need to know it. You need to be convinced of it. At any point, at moment you begin to doubt it, at any moment you begin to doubt it, God, could you, do you still possibly love me the way you once did? And he says, I've never stopped loving you any different. Can I just speak to you right now, right where you're at in the building or even online? Listen, listen, he never, ever stops loving you. That was free. Amen. Amen. That, that's something you need, to, 
you need to hit on, you need to camp on. That's something that I need to come back on. Listen, the thing that I preach the best, listen, the message I preach the best is the love and grace of God, and it is the message I have to come back to continually. All right, so we're doing a message tonight, or I'm preaching a message tonight called United. God help us, right? United, God help us. You know, 2020, um, if we could really kind of encapsulate what 2020 looks like, I, I think it would look like this. Do you have that beautiful picture up here of that little girl? Do you have her? Yeah, let's, let's just show that. See, if, if we were looking at 2020, it would kind of look like this. It's coming. It's going to be there. In just a second. Right there. Okay, guys. When you, when you think about 2020, does that not kind of encapsulate that? I mean, we went out of 2019 with hopes. We went out of 2019 excited about all the things that God was going to do. And we hit January, and we're talking World War III. You know? World War III, right? And, and, and each month after that, it just compounded on top of it. And so here we are, we're halfway through the year, and we've dealt with World War III, we've dealt with COVID, the apocalypse, we've dealt with racism, we've dealt with riots. Every month seems to have something tragic. And the running joke right now on social media is, okay, what's going to happen next month, right? What's going to happen next month? Well, guys, next month is July, and, and I, would, I would be okay with this. You got that one up there? I would be okay with, with this. Can we just go ahead? I mean, we're already there. Can we just go there. I, I love that movie. Anybody else love that movie? July's coming, y'all. July's coming. Get ready, right? Get ready. And in reality, when, when you look at tragedy and you look at crisis in our lives, it tends to, at times, bring us together. Usually, crisis brings us together. If you can look at, like, September 11th, do you remember when September 11th happened? For the most part, there was a rallying cry in our country where patriotism soared through the roof. You couldn't find the flag anywhere. We have friends of ours who had a furniture shop who sold American flags, and I'm talking about they made more money in two weeks selling American flags than they made in two years selling furniture. Right. So usually when a crisis of some type happens like this, usually there's a, a rallying effect that comes along with that, but not 2020. 2020 has not been that. If anything, 2020 has not rallied us. It's actually divided us even more. Would you agree, church? Come on, y'all know the deal. Y'all talk to me. I preach quicker. Y'all know the deal? Yes. Amen. All right. Amen, <laughs> actually, there's been more anger, more disagreement, more discord, more division than there was in all of 2019 in just the first few months of 2020. And the church, church, the church is not exempt from that. The church is not exempt from the division and the bitterness that's rising up and the discord and the dysfunction. The church is not exempt from that. It's showing up in the church. We talked a little bit about this last week, but I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. In verse 25, and it says this. It says, but Jesus knew their thoughts. How many of you guys would just like to be like Jesus for a few minutes, just know the thoughts of somebody? Wouldn't you like just to know the thoughts? of? No, you wouldn't. You would not like to know the thoughts. If you knew my thoughts, you'd be like, why are you preaching, right? You just, you really don't want to know the thoughts of somebody else. But it says, Jesus knew their thoughts and, and, and said to them, every kingdom, do me a favor, church, say kingdom. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not what? Stand. 
will not stand. Y'all, listen, and I don't do this to glorify the enemy. I don't do this to give the enemy any real power. He's been stripped of all his power. But here is the reality. The power that the enemy has is in the dysfunction of us. You understand that? The power that the enemy has is when the church is being dysfunctional, when the world is being dysfunctional. And there's this term that I throw around a lot, and it's really just a joke, but it seems to be kind of true right now. I, I say often, man, the devil's busy. The devil's busy. It can rain outside. devil's busy, right? devil's busy. Division is the strategy of our enemy. How many of you guys know that? But the reality is, is that we are, we are better together. Sounds cheesy, sounds like a cliche, but it's absolutely true. We are better together. We are stronger when we're united, when we are together. We're unstoppable force. There is so much power, guys. There is so much power in the body of Christ when we are rallying together and tackling whatever it is that's set before us. We have way more power when we're doing it together. And, and you know, dysfunction is not a, a thing to be proud of. Dysfunction should be something that we should be willing to deal with in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes this. If there were ever a dysfunctional church, y'all, go and study some of this out. If there was ever a dysfunctional church, it was the Corinthian church. Y'all know that, right? I mean, they were going to the Lord's Supper, and they were getting smashed. And they were overeating, and they were uh, having relations with step-parents. And also, it was, just, it was just a funky church, y'all. It was weird. And if there was ever a church that needed some act right, your parents ever tell you that? You better get some act right. Right? If there was ever a church that needed some act right, it was the Corinthian church. And if there's ever a church right now that needs some act right, it's the American church, somebody. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, this is what it says. It says, Paul says, I appeal. Do me a favor, say the word I appeal. 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 Thank you for not saying the way I just said it. Appeal, right. They're <laughs> yeah, hooked on phonics. All right, so <laughs> verse 10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony. Y'all say harmony. harmony. Come on, somebody. All right. With each other. To live in harmony with each other. It says, let there be no division. Say no divisions. No I just, I, I'm going to get you to repeat the entire message because, listen, for three months, I preached to a camera and nobody else. And it feels so good. To have people talking back. I'll get y'all a quote. Mary had a little lamb in a minute. All right. It said, let there be no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. This is a rebuke from the Apostle Paul. Chapter 1, verse 10, 1 Corinthians. This is a rebuke. Remember, this is a very dysfunctional church. And Paul uses some strong language right here. We're going to look at two words in this scripture. The word appeal and the word division. Now, the word appeal is the word parakaleo. Y'all say parakaleo. Y'all know a little Greek. Parakaleo. And parakaleo, it, it, it means to admonish, that is to warn and reprimand, and to exhort, to urge. And so what Paul is, is saying to them in, in verse 10, just 10 verses into his letters, he, he issues a stern rebuke. And that stern rebuke is, listen here. I'm warning you. Did your parents ever say that to you? Did you ever say that to your kids? Listen, I'm warning you. I'm warning you right now. 
That means when your parents say, I'm warning you, it means they've had enough of your foolishness, right? When they say, I warn you, it means you better get right in line and act right, get some act right, because on the other side of that, I warn you, is going to be a hand to your rear end. So Paul starts off with parakaleo, I parakaleo you, I, I warn you, I reprimand you, I'm urging you right now, and he goes on to say, by the authority of Jesus Christ, in the authority of Jesus Christ. He said to live in harmony with each other and let there be no division in the church. The word division right there is the word schisma or schism or where we get schemes from. And that word means division. Now, now watch, watch this. It means division. It means literally to break up, to cut up, to carve up. Did you get that? To break up, to cut up, or to carve up. To carve up like with a, a knife. The word dissension is also used there, conflict and friction. And and so what Paul is saying is he's saying, I'm warning you right now, as if Jesus Christ was standing here right now looking you in your eyes, I am warning you to walk in harmony and do not let anything carve you up. Don't let anything carve you up. The issues that we are seeing in our culture and our society right now are not always the things that carve us up. Listen to me, church. They're not always the things that carve us up. Usually what's carving us up is how we handle them, how we address them, how we go about finding a solution to them. There's a difference between healthy dialogue. If you've been married, you know this is the case. There is a difference between healthy dialogue, healthy conversation, healthy, healthy debating and fighting that ends in divorce. There's a difference between the two. You see, the key to being married happily ever after isn't never arguing. It's learning how to argue. It's not never voicing how you really feel. It's learning how to voice how you feel. And oftentimes, this is, this is a good thing, oftentimes when it comes to your marriage or your relationship, the more you get to a point where you can have honest conversation with one another back and forth in a healthy manner, the stronger your relationship gives. Would you agree, church? Those who are married, say amen, maybe. All right, yeah, amen, all right. That's what happens. The more we dialogue, the more we talk. Sometimes you got to have those hard conversations. Sometimes you got to confess some things you might not want to confess and keep hidden away. Sometimes you got to bring about some transparency, some authenticity. And it's not that they run from you, but it draws you closer together. The church, guys, the church, we, the church, the pastor preaching the message needs to learn how to do a better job at having conversations. Having conversations. Many of us, have, we've experienced divorce, right? We've experienced that. Many of us have had parents who, who've gone through a divorce. And, 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 and no matter how many different situations this takes place in, no matter how many different homes this takes place in, one thing is constant, one thing is true. Oftentimes, more than not, those of us who have gone through a divorce or experienced divorce know who ends up hurting the most. The kids. The kids end up hurting the most. 
And we're in a place right now, a time right now in our country where the church cannot be divorced because if the church continues to go through these divorces, where the church continues to get carved up or cut up, the ones who are going to end up hurting are the ones who are coming up underneath us. And we can't afford that because what God has called us to is way bigger than this one moment. I believe that Journey Church and, and the church as a whole has to stand up. We have to speak up and we have to refuse to allow the current climate of our nation to divorce us. The thing that's made spreading the gospel, for the most part, a, poss- a, 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 a possible thing has been unity. It's been unity. The the church is not without its flaws. Study church history any length of time, and you know that a lot of times God worked in spite of us, right? God worked in spite of us. I mean, there was those dark ages, and then there was the Crusades and the Spanish Inquisition and all these other areas that are blots on on the page of church history, but yet God still worked in spite of us. Guys, we can do much better. But one of the things that really kept the church going is this this understanding of unity. It's essential to the gospel. Look what, look what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 20. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. All right, guys, I'm trying to make sure I honor this. We've got 11 minutes. i got a lot to talk about. Come on, somebody. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 21. And Jesus said, I am praying not only for these disciples. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be turned over and to be crucified. And he said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for those, for all of those who will ever, who will ever, who will ever believe in me through their message. Who is he also talking about, church? Us. I love that you just made that personal. Me. Yes. He's talking about us. Right? He's talking about us. Verse 21, it says, I pray that they will all be one. Y'all say one. One. They will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the what church? World what? Believe that what? You sent me. Did you see that? What is essential to the gospel of Jesus Christ permeating the world that we live in is not just the message that's coming out of our mouths, but it's the message that's coming out of our lives. And the more we can understand how to walk in unity, the more we walk in unity with each other, the more the world will see and believe. See and believe. Unity will usher in the will of God in this world. What is God's will that all come to a knowledge of truth and truth about what? Truth about Jesus Christ and his love for humanity. Truth that humanity and its sins was placed on Jesus. He became our sin for us that we might have a righteous relationship with God. That's the truth. So the question that we're going to ask tonight is, what does it take to unify the church? What does it take to unify the church? Well, typically, there are a couple things that we can, we can have that will unify a church. But, but specifically, the first thing that, we'll, that, that we need to be unified around is the fact that we have a common enemy. Do you all understand that? We have a common enemy. One enemy. We have one enemy. Listen to me. We have one enemy. 
And it's not the person sitting beside you. It's not the person sitting at the table across from you. It's not your neighbor. It's not the person who cuts you off going down the street. We have one enemy. Y'all say one enemy. We have one enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, this is what it says. Paul writes again. He said, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Our enemy is not the person who votes differently than us. Our enemy is not the person whose skin color doesn't look the same as us. Our enemy is the devil. His mission is summed up in John chapter 10, verse 10. Y'all can look over there at that. John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this. Jesus says, the thief. Y'all say thief? The thief comes to steal, kill, and what, church? Destroy. So the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus goes on to say, but I've come to give you what? Life. And life in abundance. Abundant life. So it's very clear that we have an enemy. It's very clear what the enemy's purpose is. It is to steal and to kill and to destroy. The enemy's job becomes easy to steal, kill, and destroy when we become divided. How many of you ever watched National Geographic or any of those like Animal Planet channels or so like y'all like watching those, man? I like watching the safaris and, and watching all the animals out there. And, and you ever watch the cats? You ever watch the big cats, the, the, the cheetahs or the, or the tigers or the lions? Oh, my. Have you ever watched those? You ever watch them? You watch them when they hunt, right? And, and do you know what they do when they, <clears throat> when they hunt? They find the weakest, the weakest member of whatever group of animals they're hunting a gazelle they'll find the weakest member and do you know what their their mission is the mission of that line is it is to separate the weakest member from the group why because when you are by yourself when you are alone when you are divided you are a target when you stay together they don't have a chance but when you're broken off when you're cut off when you're carved up you're an easy target and when the church is carved up, we're an easy target. That's what lions do. Peter, Peter actually wrote about this in 1 Peter chapter 5. I know I'm preaching a mile a minute, y'all, but I'm watching that timer go down. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the who? The devil. devil. He said he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to what? To, to devour, looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to steal, to kill, and destroy. And you know what I find very interesting about this? And you got to go study this out because I only got like five minutes and 47 seconds left. But you know what's really interesting about this text is that that text comes eight verses into chapter five. Be alert, be vigilant. Your, your enemy is prowling around like a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It comes after seven verses. I know I just did four, but seven verses it comes after seven verses of teaching and, and reminding the church how to be unified. He says to the elders, go back and look at it. He says to the elders, elders, take care of the sheep, shepherd the, the flock. Make sure you're living an example for the young men. Young men, make sure you're respecting the elders. Make sure there's communication happening both ways. He spends seven verses talking about the value of unity. And then he says this, now be vigilant and be on point. Be on point what? To make sure 
that you stay unified because your devil, your enemy, the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So one enemy unites us. But you know what else unites us? It's one mission. It's one mission. We have a mission. We all have the same mission to carry out, and that mission is the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It transcends socioeconomic background. It transcends geographical lines. It transcends color. It transcends all of it. We have a mission church, and that mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28 Verse 19, and this is good because it's not just about speaking. Y'all understand, church is not about just speaking, right? Christianity is not about just saying words, right? It's about how we live. And I love in Matthew 28, the proclamation of the gospel looks just like this. Therefore, go into the, it says, therefore, go and make what? disciples of all nations it's not just preaching the gospel it's living the gospel and when we live the gospel other people catch hold of it when we live like jesus other people live like jesus disciples are are not made with a message preached but a message lived out disciples are made in the environment of unity And our message is God's love expressed through Jesus. Our mission is Jesus expressed through us. Did you hear that? Our message is God's love expressed through Jesus. And our mission is Jesus expressed through us. So we're to walk in unity. And what unifies us is one enemy, one mission. But sadly today, right now, this is not what the church is known for. Come on, it's not what the church is known for. If you ask anybody who's walking down the street, what do you think church is known for? What would you think about when you think about church? You you might have someone say, well, steeples or buildings or something like that. You might even have uh, people say, well, they're the angry picketers outside the abortion clinic. Or you might be the one to say they're the ones who never tip us on Sunday when they go out to eat after church, right? You you might have people say that, right? Sadly, we're not known for what we should be known for. We should be known for the unity we walk in and the love that we show. Jesus said the world will know you're my disciples by how you what church? Love one another. We should be known for what we're for. And what we're for is love and grace and forgiveness and mercy and compassion and justice. Yes, justice and generosity. The scriptures give us one way that the world will know we're followers and that way is love. Wouldn't it be amazing that when those who don't know Jesus know that we follow Jesus because we look like Jesus and it causes them to change their lives and give their hearts to Jesus. Paul goes over in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 5 through 6, it says this. May God who, <clears throat> may God who gives this patience and encourage, or who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. In verse 6 it says, and then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, this almost sounds like a pipe dream, doesn't it? It almost sounds like, how, how in the world, how do you do this? How do you do this, right? Because we can't agree. You don't have to agree on everything, but you have to love through everything. Did you get that? 
And how do you do this? How do you walk in unity? How do you walk in complete harmony? How do you walk into a place to a place where we have one voice giving praise to God? Verse 7 is the follow-up to that. Verse 7 says, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you always got to go back and make sure you know what it's there for. Come on, somebody. He said, therefore, accept each other. Listen, just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given the glory. Did you catch that? Accept each other just as Christ accepted you. Now, remember, at the very beginning, I didn't even know why I was doing this, but now it's like it's all coming together. The Lord put it on my heart to share that, that verses out of that, that song, and now it comes right back in. It ties right back into this. You were found before you were ever lost, and I was yours before I was not. How did Jesus Christ accept you? With all, all of your mess-ups, all your issues, all your imperfections, all your ineloquent speech, all of it. He accepted you with it all. And he says, you know how you walk in unity? Not by agreeing with every single little thing that everybody else believes, but you walk in unity by accepting people the way God has accepted you. The, the phrase accept each other right here, it, it, in the Greek, it literally means open arms to embrace them to embrace them like with open arms, to pull them in. So accept one another like you're getting ready to give them a big old hug. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, man, I'm not into hugging everybody. Me either. It's okay. But listen, I, I've learned this about my, my, my eight-year-old son, right, uh, Micah, who I miss dearly right now. He's, a, he's in West Virginia with his buddy for vacation. I miss him so much, all of him, the singing and the loud and the drumming and the, the stealing snacks every five. I miss all of that. I do miss, I'm a little sad right now. But, but here's what I've realized. Here's what, what Kim and I both have realized this, is Micah, Micah will go from zero to 60, and everything in the world is, is falling down around him. And what we've learned is one of two things, one of two things. One, Micah, are you hungry? That's very important. Y'all know that, right? Micah, are you hungry? Because that boy gets angry, right? He gets hangry. But the second thing that we've learned to ask him, we've learned this. We said, Micah, Micah, do you need a hug right now? And do you know what? More than 50% of the time, it's not hungry. He just wants some love. And he'll come up to us. He'll bow his head and walk up to us and hold his arms down. And we wrap our arms. We take our arms. We open them wide. And we wrap them up. And we grab him. And we hug him. And it takes about 30 seconds. And he is a completely different kid. And so Paul is saying, you know how you get to a place of unity? You open your arms up and you embrace each other. That means you embrace them. You bring them in. You bring them in. Doesn't it make sense? Accept them how Christ accepted you. What, how did Christ accept you? He was nailed to the cross. And what did his arms look like when he was nailed to the cross? They were open wide. And why? So he can embrace all of humanity. So he can embrace all of humanity. There have been many things that I, in life that I felt I knew I was right about. Anybody else? Anybody else? A few more moments, guys. Anybody else? There, there are a lot of things in life that I thought that I knew, that I knew, that I knew, that I knew, that I was right about this situation. And I'll never forget the moment God taught me an incredibly valuable lesson, a, a very valuable lesson of saying the phrase, I'm sorry. 
And a lot of times we think that the phrase, I'm sorry, needs to come only when we've done something wrong. When we're admitting that we were wrong in a particular situation. But I'm sorry can be a, a very empathetic thing to say, a very sympathetic thing to say. I'm sorry. Kim and I, we were dating. We weren't even married yet. We've been together for about five years. It was right before we were getting ready to get married. And I remember clear as day, we're in, we're in uh, her house and we're talking. And we got arguing about something. Y'all, and I was right. This, now, I've been with my wife for 24 years, y'all. That's a long time. I know what you're thinking. Y'all start dating when you were five and six? Yes, we did. <laughs> she was 16 and I was 14. We've been together five years. I'm sorry. I was 16. She was 14. We were, we were arguing in her house. I remember. I'll never forget it. I was right, y'all. I was right. And it's not very often that I'm right. And I was right in this one. And I was not budging. I wasn't moving. I was so infuriated because she refused to admit that I was right. And I got so mad that I stormed out of the house. Anybody else stormed out of the house? Don't put your hand up. Don't say yes. But you ever stormed out of the house? I got so mad I walked out. I slammed the door. I wanted her to know I was mad and I was right. And I slammed the door and the house shook. And I got in the car, and I started driving down the road, and I made a right-hand turn, and I went up the Hamlin Street, and I made a right-hand turn on the Warp Boulevard. And no sooner did I get on Warp Boulevard, stewing in all my righteous indignation, the Lord said, I want you to go back, and I want you to apologize. I'm like, no, because I'm right in this moment. And he said, go back and apologize. And I made another right-hand turn. I drove down the road. I made, another, I made a big rectangle, y'all. And I go into the house, and I'm fighting God all the way up to the top. I'm fighting all the way up to the porch. I'm like, I, I'm right, though. And I sucked it up, and I walked in, and I said, hey. And she said, what? And I said, I'm sorry. And you know what she said? No, I'm sorry. You were right. What? I'm sorry, you were right. I learned a very valuable lesson. And here's the very valuable lesson. Listen to me, church. Listen, listen, listen. It comes in. It's important for communication and walking in unity. You can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice. You hear me? You can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice. And you can be right and go right on through a divorce. The church we can carve each other up. We can cut each other up. We can divorce each other by being right, being wrong at the top of your, your voice. I learned quickly how to say I'm sorry. I've learned over the years how to be uh, quick to listen, church, slow to anger and slow to speak. We need to adapt what James said, right? We need to adopt that. Quick to listen, slow to anger, slow to speak. I've learned also over the years, and I've gotten really, really good at this, and I'm not just patting myself on the back. She'll tell you the same thing. I got really good at this. I got really good at asking her, hey, help me understand. Help me understand. I really think I'm right, but help me understand. Man, what a valuable thing that we can walk away with as a church, especially in the climate when we're talking about so many things that are so volatile. What if we, instead of trying to be right at the top of our voice, what if we just took some humility, humbled ourselves, and we said, could you help me understand? Because perspective can change a lot. People are tired of hearing the church talk all about Jesus, y'all. What they need to see is us living out Jesus. And remembering that our battle is not against flesh and blood. The battle is not Republican versus Democrat. 
It's really not. The battle is against the enemy. Do we need to talk about racism in our country? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do we need to talk about policy reforms? Do we need to vote? Do we need to do those things? Absolutely. Do we need to address the tensions in the culture in our country? Absolutely. We need to be talking about it. But we cannot be doing it without Jesus. And we're not going to win or benefit without being able to love and accept each other as Christ has loved and accepted us. So like I said at the very beginning when we talked about announcements and, and announcements, and I said we have uh, two life groups. We have a midweek life group, a virtual life group on Wednesday nights. Um, you can hop in for a few moments, hop out if you want to, say hi, you know, go in without your camera on, see who's all in there, just kind of spy, be a fly on the wall. That's fine. People do that. But we also have another group that we're going to be starting here in a couple weeks, and we'll be putting more information out about that. And that group's going to be led by myself and Pastor Kim. And then we have another couple in our church, Darian and Sierra Harris, who will be helping us lead this group as well. And this is going to be a group where we can come together as a church. We can love one another as a church. We can ask questions about what's going on in our country. We can talk about race. We can talk about forgiveness. We can talk about church and reconciliation. We can talk about how that all plays out. But do it in a way that honors God and honors one another. And so we're going to be putting more information out about that here soon. And when it goes live, registration goes live, I'd encourage you to register for it. I encourage you to get plugged into it. I think it's going to be a game changer. I think it's going to be helpful, and it's going to help continue to draw our, our church closer together. So I have two challenges for you. Number one, right where you're at, I want you to begin to pray for those right now that you cannot stand. <laughs> and it doesn't take much. Hop on social media for a little while and you'll see there are people you can't stand. Let me just challenge you. Start praying for the people that you cannot stand right now. Because listen to me, it's hard to truly hate somebody that you're constantly praying for. You hear me, church? It's hard to hate somebody you're constantly going to God for. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to ask the Lord to show you how you can love them better. How can I love this person better? How can I love these people better? How can I love this group better? How can I, how can I do that? Do me a favor. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, and then we'll wrap up. I went five minutes over, and I apologize, but I couldn't cut it off. I just feel like it's important. Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness. And, Father, I pray that these words that were spoken tonight, God, would just resonate in our hearts, God, that they would reverb in our hearts. As we go throughout our week, Father God, I pray, God, that you would just bring these words to our, our remembrance. And, Father, I thank you right now, God, from this moment right now moving forward, God, that lives and relationships are going to be changed, Father God, that we're going to have open ears, open hearts, open minds to receive and hear. Father, help us and give us the people that we need to ask. Help me understand, too, Father. I just pray in the name of Jesus that you, you would be seen, that the world will see you, Lord by how we love one another and how we walk in unity. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen. All right, guys, we will catch you next week, same time, 6.30, Saturday.